Welcome back to the Gospel Baptist Church podcast, where we focus on the Bible and God's plan for our lives. Though this day in history is filled with pain and confusion, the Bible offers the hope and instruction we all need. So let's dive into today's message and hear how God's Word has the answers for today. Two, actually, I'm in the wrong passage of scripture. First Thessalonians chapter four. That's another message. First Thessalonians chapter four in your Bibles, please. First Thessalonians chapter four. Just a second. First Thessalonians chapter four in your Bibles. When I was young, I shared this with you before, but when I was young. I was a young lad in the 1970s and 1980s. My dad used to take me to prophecy conferences where visiting preachers would speak about world events in the light of the book of Revelation. I always found those exciting. And I'm hoping that we can get Brother Fergali in to do a prophecy conference for us. And we were trying to, and we're still planning on doing that. We'd, we'd have to do that. But it was exciting to see how world events fit into the prophecies found in the book of Revelation. The one theme that was constantly spoken about in the 1970s and in the 1980s, and to be honest with you, it was on billboards and adverts everywhere, was the fact that Jesus Christ is coming back. Jesus Christ is coming back. And we would call this the rapture. The the rapture was a, a theme throughout the 1970s and 80s. It was preached on all the time and it was it was advertised all the time. And Christian films in that era came out. One was called Thief in the Night. I don't know if you've seen that, but it's real diggy diggy diggy. I think it's a great film. It's a bit hippie, but it's it, it's a great film. I, it's a lot of witnessing all the way through. But I, I think it's a great one. So if you want to Google Thief in the Night, and just it's a real throwback to. <laughs> But it's great. But anyway, I I like that one. But anyway, it reveals the plight of those who were left behind. On that note, a series of films called the Left Behind series came out. They're a bit more Hollywood-y. That wasn't put out by Hollywood. It was put out by Christians. But uh, they sort of get a bit better, I think, as they went along. I wouldn't be mad keen about the first one. But anyway, it was again a series that that would bring out what might happen if you missed the rapture. It seems that the purpose of those films was to bring fear upon those who were undecided about Christianity. After all, they don't want to be left behind. If Jesus was to come back, they don't want to be left behind. These movies were designed to inspire fear. And that might be the case for those who have not yet placed their faith in Jesus Christ. However, that is not the primary reason why the scriptures talk about the rapture. The title of this morning's message is The Comfort for Every Christian. The comfort for every Christian. First Thessalonians chapter 4, we're looking at verse 13. It says here, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will, he, will God bring with them. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent or precede them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, thank you so much for your word this morning that we're going to get into. I love this passage of scripture. 
I'm not the only person at this point that loves reading about this. Father in heaven, please stir our hearts, inspire our hearts, encourage our hearts, meet our hearts where it's needed. Lord, we need you this morning. We need your help. Without you, we can do nothing. If you don't bless the proceedings of this morning, there will be no blessing. If you don't bless the teaching upstairs, if you don't bless the preaching downstairs, there will be no blessing. If you don't direct our hearts to you, we, we will miss everything you have for us, Lord. We need your help. We need your grace. We need your strength. We're looking to you, Lord. Please, would you bless the preaching this morning and the teaching this morning? Please, would you minister to hearts? in a tremendous, tremendous way. Lord, may we think and walk away thinking of the fact that Jesus is coming back in your precious name. Amen. So number one, the Thessalonians were not ignorant of the rapture. The Thessalonians were not ignorant of the rapture. Verse 13 begins, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not even as others, which have no hope. You see, the situation was that they were losing loved ones. And thankfully, these loved ones that they were losing had come to know Jesus Christ as personal Savior because the gospel went out like, 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 like TNT, if you like, in the first century. It was explosive. Many people were getting saved. Salvations were exponential. Tremendous work of the Holy Spirit in the first century. And it's tremendous. To know all these people around you were getting saved, and, and but their loved ones were dying, maybe through persecution, maybe through other reasons people were dying. And uh, they were believers. But these believers who lost their loved ones were in tears. And there's nothing wrong with being in tears over your loved ones because that's natural, it's human. But the point is that Paul was saying, don't weep like those who have no hope. Don't sorrow that as those that have no hope, because I want to give you a reason why. And brethren, the Thessalonians were not ignorant of the rapture. Can I tell you this morning that many believers are ignorant of the rapture? They might be evangelistic. They might even be avid readers of their Bible. They might put us to shame with how much they read their Bible and love their Bible. They might be conservative in many areas that are important to us, like the Bible version. They believe in the pure version of the Bible, like what music is appropriate in the church, not the rock music and all that type of stuff, and how believers should live. They might, they might really believe in holiness, which is wonderful. They might be faithful soul winners. They might have a, a big heart for the lost and put us to shame with how evangelistic they are. But hey, listen, we did well this week. Praise the Lord. That's encouraging, 59 strikes. I don't know what to call them, hits. What do you call them, 59 what? Interactions. interactions, that's a big word. 59 interactions, tremendous. It's more than that because it counts today, it's not the interactions. Hundreds of interactions, praise the Lord, from this little church. But you might find people around you who are more zealous than you about their faith. But for all this, they might be ignorant regarding the rapture. Brethren, not everyone believes in what we call the rapture. Some are amillennial. Amillennialism literally means no millennium. And they'll be quick to point out, but we actually do believe in a millennial, millennium, we just spiritualize it. They don't believe that Jesus Christ is going to reign on the earth for a thousand years. Instead, they believe he's spiritually reigning from heaven right now. Can I most respectfully say if Jesus is spiritually reigning from heaven over earth right now, he's not doing a good job? I don't believe Jesus Christ is reigning on earth right now in any way, shape, or form. Do you? It's very evident to me the devil's reigning on earth right now, spiritually, so to speak. But Jesus Christ will reign, and I'll tell you, we'll know the difference when he reigns. 
When the millennium happens, we won't be wondering, is this the millennium? We'll know it's the millennium. It'll be very obvious. But some people believe in a spiritual millennium. They don't believe in the rapture. Then others are post-millennial. And post-millennials believe that Christ will come back. But after a thousand prosperous years of Christianity on earth, called the golden age. Brethren, Christianity did prosper when it first was preached. I'm excited about that. And there were... If you look throughout history, there was the Dark Ages, then there was the Reformation, there was the Enlightenment, there was the Reformation. And during the Reformation, a lot of people got saved. Then after the Reformation, here in the 1500s and 1600s, then you had the first Great Awakening, which was in the UK and, 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 and in, the, in, in the States and other places around the world, around Europe. Then you had the second Great Awakening. And then there was another Awakening. And brethren, during the 1970s, there was an Awakening in Ireland. A lot of people got saved in the 1970s. Guess what was preached during the 1970s? Jesus is coming back, the rapture. There's not a whole lot of preaching on the rapture today, is there? You don't hear it all the time being preached. But it doesn't mean it's not going to happen. But brethren, some were post-millennial. And many are post-millennial. And it was a, it was, that was a view held by the I would I would say probably the majority of believers until the First World War. And all of a sudden people realize this golden age is not coming. <laughs> this Protestant view believes it's our job to bring in the kingdom, this post-millennialism. We want to bring in this golden age. You keep preaching the gospel till everybody gets saved and Jesus is going to come back. Brethren, that is not what the Bible says. Some are amillennial, some are post-millennial. But brethren, every Christian believes in the second coming of Jesus Christ, no matter what stripe they're from, no matter what flavor they are, if I can use that phrase. You're a flavor, amen? Hope we're the flavor of Christ to people. But anyway, every Christian believes in the second coming of Jesus Christ. But some are ignorant of the rapture happening first. Verse 13, Paul said, I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. Some are ignorant. But the Bible does teach us that the rapture is coming first. Titus chapter 2 verse 13 calls it that blessed hope. Praise the Lord. It's a hope. 1 Corinthians 15 51 calls it a mystery. It will happen in a moment. In the twinkling of an eye. Our Savior Jesus Christ made us a solemn promise in John chapter 14 verse 3. I go and prepare a place for you and I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am there ye may be also. That's a promise. Jesus Christ promised he's coming back. And he promised he's going to come back and take us to be with him. Isn't that what the Bible says? That's the blessed hope. That is the expectation of every Christian. The rapture is not a biblical word. It's not a Bible word. You won't find the word rapture in the Bible. That's why some people say it shouldn't be used. Well, I want to tell you something. The word trinity is not in the Bible either. But we believe in the trinity. Amen. Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, 1 John chapter 5, verse 7. There are three that bear record in heaven. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. The Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are what? One. We believe in the Trinity. The word Trinity is not in the Bible. The word rapture is not in the Bible. Just because the Word is not used in the Bible doesn't mean it's a doctrine not found in the Bible. The word rapture comes from the Latin rapio, which means to snatch. And so the word rapture is a theological term meaning to snatch away. You with me? Theologians use the word rapture to explain verse 17. Look at verse 17 in your Bibles. It says, Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with him, with them in the clouds. 
caught up. That word rapio is used in there. In fact, it's the Latin word rapiamur. Rapiamur. We will be caught up. Latin is coming back to me now. We will be caught up. It's literally what it is. Rapiamur. So we in English say rapture. Rapiamur. It's a, it's a translate, transliteration from the Latin. Rapiamur. And that's where we get the word rapture from. Straight from the Latin translation of the New Testament. Rapture. Rapiamur. We will be caught up. So brethren, we don't want to be ignorant of the fact that we're going to be snatched away. We will be caught up, rapiamur, by our Lord Jesus Christ. Secondly, the resurrection. Um, I, I, I didn't write this down, so I'm just going to have to paraphrase this. The resurrection is where Christians look forward to the rapture. I, I meant to say the New Testament. There you go. I have a typo here, and I miss it. The New Testament Christians, the New Testament Christians look forward to the rapture. Look at verse 14 to verse 17. New Testament Christians look forward to the rapture. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent or precede them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. With the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be rapiamur, shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. Brethren, the Old Testament clearly teaches the first and second coming of Jesus Christ. It clearly teaches us. Turn your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 61, please. Isaiah 61 in your Bibles. Isaiah 61. The Old Testament clearly teaches the first and second coming. Isaiah 61. It clearly teaches the first and second coming of Jesus Christ. Isaiah 61, and we're looking at verse 1. <laughs> It says here, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord hath also anointed me, the word also is not there, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek, he hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn. Verse 1 and 2. That's the Old Testament. And the Bible teaches us here that Jesus Christ is coming. Because it says here, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And he anointed me to preach good tidings to the meek. To bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty of the captives, the opening of the prison to them that are bound. Jesus Christ had to come to do those things. You say, how do you know it's referring to Jesus Christ? Because he walked into the temple in, in, um, in Capernaum. And he read, he opened up the book of Isaiah. And he read these very words. And he read, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And he read, because the Lord had anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He had sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty, liberty to the captives, the opening of the prison of them, to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And then he stopped. Why did he stop? Because the rest of the verse talks about the second coming of Jesus Christ. See, in the Old Testament, it's all put together. 
It's like when you're going for a walk and you're going for a, a, a walk in the mountains, if you like to go hiking, and some people in here like to go hiking, and you're walking up a mountain, you think you're going to hit the summit of the mountain, and then you go to the top of the mountain, and you say, oh no, I have to go down a valley and get up again to hit the next mountain. You see a mountain, you see another mountain, and you miss the valley in between. The valley in between, is, if you like, is the church age we're living in, and the one mountain is the first second of Jesus Christ, and the other mountain is the second coming of Jesus Christ. But when you're at the base, all you see is the two, two, two summits. You don't see the valley in between. You with me here? Brethren, Isaiah 61 verse 1 and 2 talk about the first and second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And there is a gap in between called the church age. We just didn't realize it. But Jesus Christ, when he got up and read from this passage, stopped. He didn't say the day of vengeance of our God, verse 2. He didn't say that because that's the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Isaiah 9 verse 6, another example. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Isaiah 9 6 puts the first and second comings of Jesus Christ together. It says, for unto us a child is born. Jesus Christ came into this world. Amen? A virgin shall conceive and bring forth a child, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, meaning God with us, right? Jesus Christ came into this world. That's the first coming of Jesus Christ. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Gap. And it goes on to say, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. That hasn't happened yet. The UN is not on the shoulder of Jesus Christ. The Irish Constitution is not completely um, seated upon the doctrines of the Bible, is it? In fact, we voted, unfortunately, to change our Constitution to go against the teachings of Jesus Christ. Isn't that right? No, we didn't, but others did. But that day is going to change, brethren. When Jesus comes back, the government will be upon his shoulder, and everybody's constitutions are going to get ch changed. Amen? They're going to be corrected. And the, the Bible says that the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful. That's still the same counselor. He's still wonderful. He's still counselor. The mighty God. He's still the mighty God. He's still the everlasting father. And he's still the prince of peace. Praise the Lord for that. But we see the first and second coming in the scriptures put together. We just don't see the gap in between called the church age. Brethren, the church wasn't supposed to happen. We're not supposed to be here. We're not supposed to be in this room. God is not supposed to be working through the Gentiles. God was meant to be working through the Jewish people. The Jewish people should have received their Messiah. They should have received him as their king. And then if they had received him as their king, then he would have fulfilled the second coming prophecies. Do you understand what I'm saying? The reason why he has to come back the second time is because he was rejected the second time. Or the first time. But that's going to change. When he comes back the second time, he's not going to be rejected. I, the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 11, all Israel will be saved. They, will, they won't reject him the second time. Praise the Lord for that. But the Old Testament clearly teaches Christ's first and second coming to earth. Together, albeit it's together, but they teach it. And the second coming, brethren, is referred to, referred to as the day of the Lord. The, the phrase, have you read through the Bible and seen the day of the Lord? Have you seen that phrase? That phrase is used multiple times in the in scripture. Isaiah 2.12 For the day of the Lord of hosts shall be upon everyone that is proud and lofty and upon everyone that is lifted up and he shall be brought low. <coughs> Excuse me. 
when Jesus Christ goes back the second time, the day of the Lord is going to occur and the, the, the lofty are going to be brought down low. Jeremiah 46.10, For this is the day of the Lord of hosts, the day of vengeance, that he may avenge, that, that he may avenge him of his adversaries. Joel 2.11, For the day of the Lord is great and very terrible, terrible and who can abide it? Makes me think of the, the um, Handel's Messiah, who shall abide the day of his coming? Tremendous words. Isaiah, or, or sorry, Handel wrote the, the Messiah based on many scriptures, many prophecies, and tremendous, tremendous peace. Even reading through it is a blessing. Zephaniah 1.14, the great day of the Lord is near. It is near and hasten greatly. Even the voice of the day of the Lord, the mighty man shall cry there bitterly. Praise the Lord. Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, we said in Sunday school class. Let not, the, let not the rich man glory in his riches. Let not the mighty man glory in his, his might. But let him glory, glory in me, the Lord says. That he knows and understands that I am the Lord. But the day of the Lord is going to fix everything. You see, people lift themselves up in pride. There is no God. If I was to stand before God right now, I'd put him in my place. They have no idea. Blind men can say all sorts of things about colors they've never seen. Blind men can, and children can, can make all sorts of statements about mathematical equations that they've never experienced or worked through. Brethren, when we see Jesus, when everyone sees Jesus, people are going to fear and quake. And on that day, you want to be on the right side of God, amen? You want to be on the right side of God. Zephaniah calls it the day of the Lord's anger. Brethren, the rapture is not the second coming of our Lord to earth. The rapture is a resurrection to the heavens, not a return to earth. Let's go back to it in our Bibles, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16. I'm not talking about the day of the Lord this morning. I'm explaining the difference. You got the first coming of the Lord. You got the second coming of our Lord to earth. The first coming of the Lord to earth has already happened. The second coming of the Lord of the earth to the earth will happen. But the rapture has to happen first. The rapture is not the second coming of our Lord to the earth. Look at verse 16. It says here, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven, the trump shall resound, and the Lord shall descend, even so it is well with my soul. We sing that song, right? Based on verse 16. The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Verse 17, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught together with them in the clouds. The Lord is going to descend to the clouds, brethren. He's not descending to the earth. The meeting place is in the clouds. The meeting place is not on the earth. This is not the second coming of Jesus Christ. First Thessalonians chapter 4 is not talking about the second coming. It's talking about a meeting place in the, uh, with the Lord. Brethren, the purpose of the rapture is so Jesus can fill, fill his promise in John 14. Let's turn there, keep your marker there in 1 Thessalonians 4. John 14. John chapter 14. When the Lord makes a promise, he aims to fulfill it, and it will happen. John chapter 14. John chapter 14, verse 1. The Lord is about to leave. He's about to leave the earth. His first coming was coming to an end. And he said to his disciples, let not your heart be troubled. They were troubled about it. 
said, Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place to you. I know I'm leaving the earth, he said to his disciples. They wanted to go with them. He wouldn't blame them. They wanted to be with the Lord. And Jesus said, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am there you may be also. Jesus Christ said, I'm coming back to receive you unto myself. And brethren, that's the rapture. That's what the Lord wants to do. He wants to come again to the earth. The meeting place is in the clouds. It's not on the earth. And he wants to receive us unto himself. That where he is, where is he in heaven? In heaven, right? There we may be also. The rapture is called a mystery in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 51. We don't need to turn there. Behold, I show, show you a mystery. It's a mystery. Theologically, a mystery is a doctrine that is concealed in the Old Testament what's revealed in the New Testament. It's not pre you, you won't see the rapture taught in the Old Testament. It's not there. In the Old Testament, you see, you're, you, you see the first coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Excuse me. You see the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they're both put together oftentimes in Scripture, except for the day of the Lord, which is the second coming of the Lord. Of, of the Lord. But you see them put together. But the rapture happens in between. It's a mystery. A mystery means it's not spoken about in the Old Testament, but it's a new doctrine explained in the New Testament. That's what a mystery is. And brethren, there's much teaching about the second coming in the Old Testament. The second coming is not a mystery, but the rapture is a mystery. There's no teaching about the rapture in the Old Testament. It's a mystery revealed and explained and taught in the New Testament. But finally, I want to share with you this morning that the rapture is a doctrine of great comfort. Turn your Bibles again to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 18. It's a doctrine of great comfort. The rapture is a doctrine of great comfort. The second coming of Jesus Christ, the day of the Lord, did not bring comfort to the Christians. In fact, when Paul wrote the first Thessalonians and second Thessalonians, you see as you read through it, they were afraid of at the day of the Lord. They thought they were going to be caught up with it. So in between that, we have the rapture, which is, a, which is it, it's, it's a theology, it, it's a teaching of tremendous comfort. So what's the comfort in the rapture? Verse 18 tells us, where First Thessalonians 4 verse 18, Paul said, Wherefore comfort one another with these words. So where's the comfort? Well, contextually the comfort was, your, your loved ones who've passed on before you, who are in Christ, who've been saved, you're going to see them again. That's comforting. But let me give you some more comfort this morning. What's the comfort in the rapture? Number one, there's comfort in knowing we don't have to face the wrath of God. We don't have to face the wrath of God. Brethren, the wrath of God abides upon sinners. This is what the Bible says. Most respectfully, if you're sitting there in your seat, and if you've not yet been saved, the wrath of God is upon you. God is angry at you because of your sin. It's just the way it is. The only way you can have that wrath removed is you need to go to the cross and get cleansed by the blood of Jesus. Brethren, if you've been saved, if you've been saved, that wrath has been removed. And, and, and that wrath has, has been removed and you've been declared righteous, being justified by faith with peace 
with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And if you're justified, if you've been declared righteous, then there's comfort in knowing you're never going to face God's wrath. God's wrath is going to be poured upon this world. I mean, we take a look at what's going on in the curriculum and in the, in, in the curricula in the schools, and our head's spinning. And if your head's not spinning, you just don't know what's going on. You need to get yourself versed in what's going on because you need to know. It's not edifying. It's not encouraging. God is angry at that stuff. And God has to deal with this. God can't allow this sin to continue. God hates pride. So the Bible says. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the washes, to the humble. And so God has to deal with the sin of this world. He has to come back in judgment. The second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ is all about God dealing with the sin, and it's not going to be pretty. But if you've been saved, the comfort for you is you're going to be taken out of it. You're not going to have the judgment of God poured upon you. You're not going to be part of that. You're not going to face the wrath of God. There's comfort in that. But secondly, there's comfort in knowing that we're going to be with the Lord forever. Sin separates us from the presence of the Lord. Have you ever wondered, why can't I see God? Why is he invisible? Don't you want to just see Jesus? See what he looks like? See the smile upon his face? See his love that he has for his own creation? But we can't see him. Because the Bible says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, or his ear heavy, neither his ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he, he will not hear. And so the Bible tells us that sin separates us from God. And while we still have this sin with us, which is dealt with at the cross, but while we still have this sin with us, we can't see God face to face. We're not holy enough. We're not pure enough. We're not like him, who is the pinnacle, the epitome of all beauty and glory and holiness. We're not like that. But the rapture is going to fix that. Because when the rapture happens, our sin nature is left behind. You're born again. You've got the old nature you're born with, but you've got the new nature. You're born again. And when we get raptured, our new nature goes with us, and the old nature gets left behind. Amen? That can be left behind. When we see Jesus, our sins are permanently removed. And brethren, we're going to be able to enjoy unbroken, perfect fellowship with Jesus Christ. Imagine never having to apologize ever again. Imagine never feeling distance from God ever again. Imagine just being able to be in that sweet presence. Listen, we get a taste of heaven being in the house of God. When we sing songs that are redeemed and we rejoice in that, when we get into the scriptures, we feel the presence of God, our hearts are blessed. Brethren, this is a permanent thing. This is a permanent thing. Unbroken fellowship. Sometimes you walk away from a stressful situation and say, I just want some peace. But when we're with the Lord Jesus Christ, it's perfect peace. Brethren, our personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ will be at its zenith at the rapture. It just won't be able to get better than that. That's wonderful. There's comfort in knowing that we're going to be with the Lord forever. There's comfort in knowing we don't have to face the wrath of God. Thirdly, there's comfort in knowing that we might not have to face death. I think if you're a Christian, you don't fear death. 
But if you're human, you fear the process of death. Like if we're going to die, I mean, we're gonna, let's die quickly. Nobody wants to go through a slow death. It's horrific to watch someone die slowly, isn't it? Brethren, death is, in the Bible is just separation. When Rachel died, the Bible declares her soul departed from her body, Genesis chapter 35. When we are raptured, we will be separated from our body, but we'll be never separated from King Jesus again. It's amazing to think that when we get raptured, we'll never have to face death. That's a wonderful thought. I think we all sort of want that. There's comfort in knowing that. There's also comfort in knowing that we will never sin again. Man, we can let our side down pretty badly, can't we? I wish I didn't sin. I wish I didn't hurt people. I wish I didn't offend my God. But I'm, I'm a sinner. And I'm not going to make excuses for my sin, because if I make excuses for my sin, I'll continue to do the same things, right? But there's going to come a day when that's going to be no longer a problem. And I want you to understand, if you're born again, if you put your faith in the blood of Jesus, this Jesus, when he died on the cross, he took all your sin on the cross. He didn't take half your sin. He didn't take three quarters of your sin. He didn't take nine tenths of your sin. He took all of your sin on the cross. All of it. Past, present, and future. Amen? And when he died on the cross, he took all of your sin. And, and if you have your faith in him, if you have repented, you say, I don't want that sin, Lord. You can take it all. If you've repented of your sin and you put it on Jesus Christ and he has saved you, when you get raptured, it's all left behind. There's comfort in knowing that we're never going to sin again. We're the Lord. It is going to be perfect. Have you ever tried to have a good day of not sinning? <laughs> Probably last a few hours, maybe, best. There's going to come a day, you've been saved. You can, you're going to spend the rest of your life never sinning ever again. Isn't that a wonderful thought? There's comfort in knowing that we'll never sin again. There's comfort in knowing that our mortal life will be over. The life we experience at times is full of disappointments and pain. It's filled with disease and death. It's filled with hurt, anguish, and brokenness. It's hard to lose a loved one. Even if he or she is a believer, it's still hard. Because you love that person. And there's an emptiness and a feeling of loss. But Revelation chapter 21 verse 4 verse, verse four tells us there's a day coming when God shall wipe away all tears from our eyes. And there'll be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying. Neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. Aren't you glad that verse is in the Bible? It's all going to be left behind. This mortal life and all its disappointments and all its failures and all its struggles are going to be left behind. You're going to have no more stress. It's all going to be gone. There's comfort in knowing that this mortal life will be over. There's also comfort in knowing that the battle will be over while we're here on earth. If you're trying to live for God, you're going to face opposition. And your opposition might come from family members. Your opposition might come from friends. Your opposition might come from neighbors. 
Your opposition may come from people you thought, that's the last person I would think would stand against me. Your opposition might come from your circumstances. Your opposition might come from your health frailties. Your opposition might come from your personal struggles. But I want to tell you something. All our opposition is spiritual because the Bible tells us we wrestle not against principalities and powers, but I sorry, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the spiritual wickedness of this world and spiritual the darkness of this world and spiritual wickedness in high places. Our our opposition is spiritual, but when we're raptured, the battle's over. Now, I know right now, if you're a Christian, you say, I know the victory is won. I know Jesus died on the cross. I know he rose again. And I'm with him. I have the victory. But you struggle in life. Isn't that right? And the reason why you struggle in life is because the battle's not over yet. But when Jesus comes back, the battle is over. To take us to be with him in the air when the rapture occurs. So why on earth do we have to put on the full armor of God so that we can stand against the wiles of the devil? When the rapture happens, that battle is over. You don't have to put on the armor of God anymore. You, you know, sometimes you have to put up your defenses when you're around certain people. You with me here? Because you don't know what they're going to say and you don't want to react. Do you understand what I'm saying? We all understand that. But there's going to come a day you don't need those defenses anymore because the battle's over. And finally, there's comfort in knowing that the rapture can happen at any time. Revelation, please, in your Bibles. Revelation chapter 22. Revelation chapter 22. The rapture could happen at any time. Some people say the rapture is not imminent. I beg to differ with, with them. And the Bible says it is imminent. I'm just going by scripture here, folks. Revelation 22, verse 7. Behold, Lord, our Lord says, Behold, I come quickly. If you have, your, if you have a, a reference Bible, if you have a, a study Bible, you see the words of Christ in red, right? The Lord is speaking here. Behold, I come quickly. Blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of the prophecy of this book. Remember, Jesus is coming back, okay? Behold, I come quickly, he says. Behold, I come quickly. The word quickly means shortly. It means without delay. It means soon. It means by surprise. And this etymology and understanding of this word was, was brought out by somebody who doesn't even believe in the rapture, which I find fascinating. At least I don't believe he does. But the point is this. The Bible tells us that Jesus is going to come back shortly, without delay, soon, by surprise. That means the rapture is imminent. It could happen at any time. There's going to be no warnings. It's going to happen at any time. Brethren, it could happen before the end of this message. Now, 1 Corinthians 15 tells us what's going to happen. Just if I, have, I haven't explained it, let me explain what, what the rapture really means. What the rapture means is Jesus Christ is going to call every single born-again Christian in this room and in the whole world to be with him. They're just going to disappear, vanish, gone. You say aliens have, the world will say aliens have abducted them. It's, it's interesting, I'm seeing uh, leaked information, I'm putting that in inverted commas, from the, from the military of, of UFO sightings. You know, uh, whatever. People are going to blame UFOs for millions of people disappearing. It's not UFOs. 
is Jesus. It's not unidentified, it is identified in the scriptures. Jesus is coming back and he's going to gather every born again Christian to be with him and they're all going to disappear and they're going to be with, we're going to be with Jesus and those who have not repented those who sat in church all their lives and, and tried to be a good person and probably been very kind but who've never repented and never put their faith in Jesus because they don't really need to they're going to be left behind all those Christ rejectors that said if God comes back I'll tell you I'll give a piece of my mind they're going to be left behind all those people who said, oh, science and the Bible don't agree. Well, they actually do agree. It's just that you need to have the right kind of science. Oh, I don't believe in the Bible. I believe in science. I believe in science. I also believe in the Bible. They, they do not conflict. I love science. They don't conflict. But those people who put their faith in science falsely so-called, if I can put it that way, I, don't, I believe in science. I don't believe in the Bible. They're going to be left behind. The intellectuals of this world who are too smart to believe in God are going to be left behind. And those who are humble enough to repent of their sin and put their faith in Jesus Christ are going to be caught up to be with Jesus because they know they need him in this life. They're going to be caught up to be with him. And, and all of us are, who are saved are going to be caught up to be with him and, and everybody else is going to be left behind. That's what the rapture is all about. Snatched up, just taken. It's like you're having a kids club and one of the kids just disappeared. And then you see a parent walking away with a child. Oh, that's where they are. <laughs> you know? That hasn't happened yet, but I hope it doesn't happen. You'd like to think they'd say, oh, I'm taking my child now. Or you're watching. But that's what it's gonna be like. But they're just, the Lord is not gonna make an announcement. He's just gonna take us up to be with him. And people who are left behind are looking, what happened to them? I'll tell you what happened. It's the rapture. And where are they? We're with Jesus. You just missed the boat. You missed the roll call. Jesus said, I come quickly. It can happen at any time. Revelation 22, verse 20. He which testified these things saith, Surely I come quickly. The Lord wants us to be looking out for him like the child. The club is over. And the child is saying, where is my mommy? Where's my daddy? They're looking out. They're looking out. Jesus wants to be looking out for him. He says, I come quickly. We're like, okay, I'm ready, Lord. Take me home. Wouldn't it be really cool if someone, some preacher somewhere in the world said, take me home, and everybody just disappeared? That'd be so cool. It's okay to laugh. It's a, it's a holy laugh, amen? Revelation chapter 22, verse 20 ends. Amen. Even so, come Lord Jesus. Even so, come Lord Jesus. Why? Because there's tremendous comfort if you're a Christian. The title of this morning's message is The Comfort for Every Christian. And this morning we saw that there is comfort in knowing that Jesus Christ is coming back soon. It could be at any time. There's comfort in knowing that we don't have to face the wrath of God. There's comfort in knowing that we'll be with the Lord forever. There's comfort in knowing that we'll never sin again. We'll never harden ourselves in pride again. We'll never have to apologize again. We'll never have to work through problems again. We'll never have pain and sorrow and suffering ever again because our mortal life will be over. There's comfort in knowing that the battle will be over. We, don't, we won't have to argue and battle over stuff anymore. We're just like, peace. Ooh, I've been waiting for this for all my life. Again, there's comfort in knowing 
it could happen at any time. Brethren, the doctrine of the rapture is comfort for Christians. And I just want to ask you this morning, is that your comfort? Are you comforted by the fact that Jesus could come back at any moment to rapture every born-again Christian? Does that comfort you? If it doesn't, it might be an indicator that you've not been born again. You've not been saved. The Bible says, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Everyone has sinned. We've, we've all done wrong. We've all broken God's laws. You might have said God's name in vain. The Lord will not hold and take, well, the Lord will not hold him guiltless to, who take his name in vain. If we say God's name in vain, God says he's going to hold us account for that. That's enough to keep anyone out of heaven saying it once. I only did it once. That's enough. Like killing someone once is enough to get you a life sentence in prison. Saying God's name in vain once is enough to exclude you from heaven for all eternity. But the truth be known, you've done it more than once. You've told lies. You've stolen, perhaps. You've been disobedient to your parents or to authority. We've all sinned. And God knew because of our sin we couldn't make it to heaven. So he provided a way. Jesus Christ came down from heaven, the first coming of Jesus Christ, and he died on the cross for our sins, and he took all our sins on himself on the cross. He was wounded for our transgressions, and he died, and he was buried, and he rose again, victoriously, so he could wash away all of our sin, and he said he's coming back for us. That should comfort you. You say, what about my loved ones? Now is the time to pray for them to be saved. Now is the time. But I want to tell you something. The fact that Jesus is coming back should cause people who are not saved to say, I need to get saved now. And people who are not living right should cause them to want to put things right with God. So I want to ask you this morning, does the rapture comfort you? I hope it does. And if it doesn't comfort you, I'm going to encourage you to put your faith in Jesus Christ so that you can get much comfort from the fact that Jesus is coming back. Like a child looking for his parent or her parent to come back, you should be looking for the Lord to come back because it's all about being with Jesus. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, can we? Thank you for listening to today's message on the Gospel Baptist Church podcast. To view this and similar messages as a video, or for more information about Gospel Baptist Church, head over to lukeandchurch.com. That's lukeandchurch.com. Thank you again, and God bless.